Chapter 40 of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter 40, Part 1 theories respecting the original introduction of species proposal of an hypothesis on this subject supposed centers or foci of creation why distinct provinces of animals and plants have not become more blended together brocky's speculation on the loss of species stations of plants and animals causes on which they depend stations of plants how affected by animals equilibrium in the number of species how preserved peculiar efficacy of insects in this task rapidity with which certain insects multiply or decrease in numbers effect of omnivorous animals in preserving the equilibrium of species reciprocal influence of aquatic and terrestrial species on each other theory of linnaeus it would be superfluous to examine the various attempts which were made to explain the phenomena of the distribution of species alluded to in the preceding chapters in the infancy of the sciences of botany zoology and physical geography the theories or rather conjectures then indulged now stand refuted by a simple statement of facts and if linnaeus were living he would be the first to renounce the notions which he promulgated for he imagined the habitable world to have been for a certain time limited to one small tract the only portion of the earth's surface that was as yet laid bare by the subsidence of the primeval ocean in this fertile spot he supposed the originals of all the species of plants which exist on this globe to have been congregated together with the first ancestors of all animals and of the human race in qua commode habita verant animalia omnia et vegetablia laetae germina verant in order to accommodate the various habitudes of so many creatures and to provide a diversity of climate suited to their several natures the tract in which the creation took place was supposed to have been situated in some warm region of the earth but to have contained a lofty mountain range on the heights and in the declivities of which were to be found all temperatures and every climate from that of the torrid to that of the frozen zone that there was never a universal ocean since the planet was inhabited or rather since the oldest groups of strata yet known to contain organic remains were formed is proved by the presence of terrestrial plants or by indication of shores in all the older formations and if this conclusion was not established yet no geologist could deny that since the first small portion of the earth was laid dry 
there have been many entire changes in the species of plants and animals inhabiting the land but without dwelling on the above and other refuted theories let us inquire whether some hypothesis cannot be substituted as simple as that of linnaeus to which the phenomena now ascertained in regard to the distribution both of aquatic and terrestrial species may be referred the following may perhaps be reconcilable with known facts each species may have had its origin in a single pair or individual where an individual was sufficient and species may have been created in succession at such times and in such places as to enable them to multiply and endure for an appointed period and occupy an appointed space on the globe in order to explain this theory let us suppose every living thing to be destroyed in the western hemisphere both on the land and in the ocean and permission to be given to man to people this great desert by transporting into it animals and plants from the eastern hemisphere a strict prohibition being enforced against introducing two original stocks of the same species now it is easy to show that the result of such a mode of colonizing would correspond exactly so far as regards the grouping of animals and plants with that now observed throughout the globe in the first place it would be necessary for naturalists before they imported species into particular localities to study attentively the climate and other physical conditions of each spot it would be no less requisite to introduce the different species in succession so that each plant and animal might have time and opportunity to multiply before the species destined to prey upon it was admitted many herbs and shrubs for example must spread far and wide before the sheep the deer and the goat could be allowed to enter lest they should devour and annihilate the original stalks of many plants and then perish themselves for want of food the above-mentioned herbivorous animals in their turn must be permitted to make considerable progress before the entrance of the first pair of wolves or lions insects must be allowed to swarm before the swallow could be permitted to skim through the air and feast on thousands at one repast it is evident that however equally in this case our original stocks were distributed over the whole surface of land and water there would nevertheless arise distinct botanical and zoological provinces for there are a great many natural barriers which oppose common obstacles to the advance of a variety of species thus for example almost all the animals and plants naturalized by us towards the extremity of south america would be unable to spread beyond a certain limit towards the east west and south because they would be stopped by the ocean and a few of them only would succeed in reaching the cooler latitudes of the northern hemisphere because they would be incapable of bearing the heat of the tropics through which they must pass in the course of ages undoubtedly 
exceptions would arise and some species might become common to the temperate and polar regions or both sides of the equator for i have before shown that the powers of diffusion conferred on some classes are very great but we might confidently predict that these exceptions would never become so numerous as to invalidate the general rule some of the plants and animals transplanted by us to the coast of chile and peru would never be able to cross the andes so as to reach the eastern plains nor for a similar reason would those first established in the pampas or the valleys of the amazon and the orinoco ever arrive at the shores of the pacific in the ocean an analogous state of things would prevail for there also climate would exert a huge influence in limiting the range of species and the land would stop the migrations of aquatic tribes as effectually as the sea arrests the dispersion of the terrestrial as certain birds insects and the seeds of plants can never cross the direction of prevailing winds so currents form natural barriers to the dissemination of many oceanic races a line of shoals may be as impassable to deep-water species as are the alps and the andes to plants and animals peculiar to plains while deep abysses may prove insuperable obstacles to the migration of the inhabitants of shallow waters supposed centres or foci of creation it is worthy of observation that one effect of the introduction of single pairs of each species must be the confined range of certain groups in spots which like small islands or solitary inland lakes have few means of interchanging their inhabitants with adjoining regions now this congregating in a small space of many peculiar species would give an appearance of centres or foci of creation as they have been termed as if they were favourite points where the creative energy has been in greater action than in others and where the numbers of peculiar organic beings have consequently become more considerable i do not mean to call in question the soundness of the inferences of some botanists as to the former existence of certain limited spots whence species of plants have been propagated radiating as it were in all directions from a common centre on the contrary i conceive these phenomena to be the necessary consequences of the plan of nature before suggested operating during the successive mutations of the surface some of which the geologist can prove to have taken place subsequently to the period when many species now existing were created in order to exemplify how this arrangement of plants may have been produced let us imagine that about three centuries before the discovery of st helena itself of submarine volcanic origin a multitude of new islands had been thrown up in the surrounding sea and that these had each become clothed with plants emigrating from st helena in the same manner 
as the wild plants of campagna have diffused themselves over monte nuovo whenever the first botanist investigated the new archipelago he would in all probability find a different assemblage of plants in each of the islands of recent formation but in st helena itself he would meet with individuals of every species belonging to all parts of the archipelago and some in addition peculiar to itself that is those which had not been able to obtain a passage into any one of the surrounding new-formed lands in this case it might be truly said that the original island was the primitive focus or centre of a certain type of vegetation whereas in the surrounding islands there would be a smaller number of species yet all belonging to the same group but this peculiar distribution of plants would not warrant the conclusion that in the space occupied by st helena there had been a greater exertion of creative power than in the spaces of equal area occupied by the new adjacent lands because within the period in which st helena had acquired its peculiar vegetation each of the spots supposed to be subsequently converted into land may have been the birthplace of a great number of marine animals and plants which may have had time to scatter themselves far and wide over the southern atlantic why distinct provinces not more blended perhaps it may be objected to some parts of the foregoing train of reasoning that during the lapse of past ages especially during many partial revolutions of the globe of comparatively modern date different zoological and botanical provinces ought to have become more confounded and blended together that the distribution of species approaches too nearly to what might have been expected if animals and plants had been introduced into the globe when its physical geography had already assumed the features which it now wears whereas we know that in certain districts considerable geographical changes have taken place since species identical with those now in being were created brachy's speculations on loss of species these and many kindred topics cannot be fully discussed until we have considered not merely the general laws which may regulate the first introduction of species but those which may limit their duration on the earth brachy remarked when hazarding some interesting conjectures respecting the loss of species that a modern naturalist had no small assurance who declared that individuals alone were capable of destruction and that species were so perpetuated that nature could not annihilate them so long as the planet lasted or at least that nothing less than the shock of a comet or some similar disaster could put an end to their existence the italian geologist on the contrary had satisfied himself that many species of testacea which formerly inhabited the mediterranean had become extinct although a great number of others which had been the contemporaries of those lost races still survived he came to the opinion 
that about half the species which peopled the waters when these sub-apennine strata were deposited had gone out of existence and in this inference he does not appear to have been far wrong but instead of seeking a solution of this problem like some other geologists of his time in a violent and general catastrophe brocky endeavoured to imagine some regular and constant law by which species might be made to disappear from the earth gradually and in succession the death he suggested of a species might depend like that of individuals on certain peculiarities of constitution conferred upon them at their birth and as the longevity of the one depends on a certain force of vitality which after a period grows weaker and weaker so the duration of the other may be governed by the quantity of prolific power bestowed upon the species which after a season may decline in energy so that the fecundity and multiplication of individuals may be gradually lessened from century to century until that fatal term arrives when the embryo incapable of extending and developing itself abandons almost at the instant of its formation the slender principle of life by which it was scarcely animated and so all dies with it now we may coincide in opinion with the italian naturalist as to the gradual extinction of species one after another by the operation of regular and constant causes without admitting an inherent principle of deterioration in their physiological attributes we might concede that many species are on the decline and that the day is not far distant when they will cease to exist yet deem it consistent with what we know of the nature of organic beings to believe that the last individuals of each species retain their prolific powers in their full intensity brocky has himself speculated on the share which a change of climate may have had in rendering the mediterranean unfit for the habitation of certain testacea which still continued to thrive in the indian ocean and of others which were now only represented by analogous forms within the tropics he must also have been aware that other extrinsic causes such as the progress of human population or the increase of some one of the inferior animals might gradually lead to the extirpation of a particular species although its fecundity might remain to the last unimpaired if therefore amid the vicissitudes of the animate and inanimate world there are known causes capable of bringing about the decline and extirpation of species it became him thoroughly to investigate the full extent to which these might operate before he speculated on any cause of so purely hypothetical a kind as the diminution of the prolific virtue if it could have been shown that some wild plant had insensibly dwindled away and died out 
as sometimes happens to cultivated varieties propagated by cuttings even though climate soil and every other circumstance should continue identically the same if any animal had perished while the physical condition of the earth and the number and force of its foes with every other extrinsic cause remain unaltered then might we have some ground for suspecting that the infirmities of age creep on as naturally on species as upon individuals but in the absence of such observations let us turn to another class of facts and examine attentively the circumstances which determine the stations of particular animals and plants and perhaps we shall discover in the vicissitudes to which these stations are exposed a cause fully adequate to explain the phenomena under consideration stations of plants and animals stations comprehend all the circumstances whether relating to the animate or inanimate world which determine whether a given plant or animal can exist in a given place so that if it be shown that stations can become essentially modified by the influence of known causes it will follow that species as well as individuals are mortal every naturalist is familiar with the fact that although in a particular country such as great britain there may be more than three thousand species of plants ten thousand insects and a great variety in each of the other classes yet there will not be more than a hundred perhaps not half that number inhabiting any given locality there may be no want of space in the supposed tract it may be a large mountain or an extensive moor or a great river plain containing room enough for individuals of every species in our island yet the spot will be occupied by a few to the exclusion of many and these few are enabled throughout long periods to maintain their ground successfully against every intruder notwithstanding the facilities which species enjoy by virtue of their power of diffusion of invading adjacent territories the principal causes which enable a certain assemblage of plants thus to maintain their ground against all others depend as is well known on the relations between the physiological nature of each species and the climate exposure soil and other physical conditions of the locality some plants live only on rocks others in meadows a third class in marshes of the latter some delight in a fresh-water morass others in salt marshes where their roots may copiously absorb saline particles some prefer an alpine region in a warm latitude where during the heat of summer they are constantly irrigated by the cool waters of melting snows to others loose sand so fatal to the generality of species affords the most proper station the carex arenaria and the elemus arenarius acquire their full vigour on a sandy dune obtaining an ascendancy over the very plants which in a stiff clay would immediately stifle them where the soil of a district 
is of so peculiar a nature that it is extremely favourable to certain species and agrees ill with every other the former get exclusive possession of the ground and as in the case of heaths live in societies in like manner the bog moss sphagnum is fully developed in peaty swamps and becomes like the heath in the language of botanists a social plant such monopolies however are not common for they are checked by various causes not only are many species endowed with equal powers to obtain and keep possession of similar stations but each plant for reasons not fully explained by the physiologist has the property of rendering the soil where it has grown less fitted for the support of other individuals of its own species or even other species of the same family yet the same spot so far from being impoverished is improved for plants of another family oaks for example render the soil more fertile for the fir tribe and firs prepare the soil for oaks every agriculturalist feels the force of this law of the organic world and regulates accordingly the rotation of his crops equilibrium in the number of species how preserved all the plants of a given country says de candole in his usual spirited style are at war one with another the first which establish themselves by chance in a particular spot tend by the mere occupancy of space to exclude other species the greater choke the smaller the longest livers replace those which last for a shorter period the more prolific gradually make themselves masters of the ground which species multiplying more slowly would otherwise fill in this continual strife it is not always the resources of the plant itself which enable it to maintain or extend its ground its success depends in a great measure on the number of its foes or allies among the animals and plants inhabiting the same region thus for example a herb which loves the shade may multiply if some tree with spreading boughs and dense foliage flourish in the neighbourhood another which if unassisted would be overpowered by the rank growth of some hardy competitor is secure because its leaves are unpalatable to cattle which on the other hand annually crop down its antagonist and rarely suffer it to ripen its seed oftentimes we see some herb which has flowered in the midst of a thorny shrub when all the other individuals of the same species in the open fields around are eaten down and cannot bring their seed to maturity in this case the shrub has lent his armour of spines and prickles to protect the defenceless herb against the mouths of the cattle and thus a few individuals which occupied perhaps the most unfavourable station in regard to exposure soil and other circumstances may nevertheless by the aid of an ally become the principal source whereby the winds are supplied with seeds which perpetuate the species throughout the surrounding tract thus in the new forest in hampshire 
the young oaks which are not consumed by the deer or uprooted by the swine are indebted to the holly for their escape in the above examples we see one plant shielding another from the attacks of animals but instances are perhaps still more numerous where some animal defends a plant against the enmity of some other subject of the vegetable kingdom scarcely any beast observes a swedish naturalist will touch the nettle but fifty different kinds of insects are fed by it some of these seize upon the root others upon the stem some eat the leaves others devour the seeds and flowers but for this multitude of enemies the nettle urtica doica which is now found in all the four quarters of the globe would annihilate a great number of plants linnaeus tells us in his tour in scania that goats were turned into an island which abounded with the agrostis arundinacea where they perished by famine but horses which followed them grew fat on the same plant the goat also he says thrives on the meadowsweet and water hemlock plants which are injurious to cattle end of chapter forty part one